You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com to see the many different merchandising options we offer. I'm Aaron Mackey, your co-host. The other co-host you may have seen walking out of great clubs with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is Scott Bowie. Hey, Scott, what's going on? What is up, Aaron? How are you, bud? Doing great. We just filmed another great episode that'll be coming out in a few weeks. I'm definitely excited about that one. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I was so happy to uh, to get back in touch with this person, and I spent years and years and years since I really talked to him. Uh, it's just it's just so nice, you know, when you get to reminisce with people, and um, and this person is still heavily involved in motorsports in many different ways and amongst other businesses and that. So yeah, he's involved in a lot um, of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it'll it, when his episode comes out, it'll be really good. So, um, I, I'm just, yeah, it was just really, really great to talk to him. Absolutely. Before we get into anything else, just wanted to thank everyone for watching. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you like, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, we're on other podcast streaming platforms make sure you check us out there as well. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, you will realize that the background and stuff's a little different now. Decided to change it up a little bit. I think it looks a lot better now. Um, you know, kind of like how Scott, you know, has to change his appearance with his hair to kind of keep right. up with, with current times. I kind of felt like I had to do the same. Yeah, and if anybody sees me moving my head around looking at things, I'm looking at my uh, our new cat, just making sure he's not getting anything he shouldn't be getting How to. How long have you had him? Would, uh, we've had him uh, five days. Oh, just for five days. He's. Uh, I'll introduce him to the show. I was going to do it tonight, but he was crying so much. Nobody wants to hear a crying cat. So he's now just walking around exploring the room that I'm in. So, but he'll come on hopefully next week or something. Maybe giving David Lane a run for his money now with um cow cat on this youtube channel yeah no that's and that's why we got him i i figured if david did it you know hey if david no, I really, does something, hey, you gotta do it hey to uh to not pick on david there you know that man he loved that cat hey david man. tells me to david tells me to jump i i ask him how high that's right how many times hey how many that's, times uh, he tells me <laughs> he uh he loved that cat i felt bad for him when his cat passed but right. um no, you me. know, so like all of our like all of our cats, they always have interesting names. And when I introduce him on the show, I'll I'll say his name. I think it's pretty funny. We think it's funny. Uh, so our last cat's name was Juan Pablo Montoya, like a paw, like a cat's paw. And uh, we've kept with the same theme on this one. <laughs> but uh, he's a great cat, and really enjoy him. Well. Um... Our, our show today, we have a great show. This is one that you you've been excited for quite some time about, and I was excited Absolutely. too. Um, obviously, I I like watching YouTube videos, and you know I I enjoy kind of the marketing side of things. So, um, and this person is was a great person to really talk about, you know, marketing, not just racing, but marketing, which also is heavily involved with racing. Um, yeah, and the I guest agree, is man. Tanner Holmes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, Tanner I was going to say yeah. our guest is Tanner Holmes. And uh, Tanner, uh, I first heard about Tanner just like Aaron said, YouTube. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got his sprint car. He was running limited sprint cars before that. He ran uh, outlaw carts. Um, but what I liked is he does it all himself. He films all of his own videos. Right. He's got a, you know, he's a young man. I, I still believe he's still only 18. And yeah, he has a real, 18. yeah, I think he just turned 18. And he's well-spoken. He's energetic. And he's enthusiastic. And uh, he's got a real passion for the sport. I kind of consider him uh, kind of the future of the sport in terms of, I don't know if, I mean, I think auto racing will be his career somehow. I don't know if he'll always be a, a sprint car racer, but uh, I, I'm just glad to see people like him come into sport who are so excited about it and love it so much. Uh, he has a sister named Carly who races a well. We didn't speak with her, but hopefully uh, we'll have her on the show in the future. And uh, she does really well. And Tanner's had a, a good career. He's had some wins already. He's, he started out in a, the same series as Sisters Run, which is like a, I would call it a race saver spec type series, where it's kind of a lower horsepower, but it's still a sprint car. And uh, they run wing sprints out in uh, Oregon. And um, but I saw him. I told Aaron, I mean, we got to get this kid on the show. He's just he's really interesting and engaging and and. Uh, just want to really kind of break it down, kind of how he got into sport, and it was a great talk. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it, w- it was funny because before you actually say you wanted to get him, I actually have thoughts of getting him on as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just – like, what I like about him, he's not um, – he's. I mean, some of those shows can kind of be a little phony. You know, this kind of setups and stuff like that. And, and Tanner's just trying to share – with he people shows the his highs love and lows, which we talk about the highs should, and absolutely the highs and lows and and he never he never shies away from saying hey i could have done better and that's something i i really appreciated by like what could have i done to be better and uh and, not, and i've never seen him really blame anybody for anything no. even when it was somebody else's fault um so i and he, you know it just he's got some good stories for a young racer, and he's um, just a, a engaging personality and just fun oh, to yeah. talk to. This is a great – yeah, and actually after we filmed the episode, we talked to him for another, what, 35, 45 minutes? Yeah. Um, we had a good conversation about Bigfoot since he lives in the Pacific Northwest. So that's definitely right. had, to, had to talk about that with him. But, yeah. No. Yep. Your, uh, your, uh, your real passion, which is Bigfooting. One of my passions, I – I, I probably have the weirdest hobbies anyone um, w- would ever meet. But, yeah, that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah. Um, no, it's just, yeah, he just, man, it was, it was just really good to have him on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's all. But I'm going to just keep saying over and over again, so I'll just say it for the last time. It, it was, and I wish him nothing but success. And as he, you know, they traveled from Oregon to Ohio to run Ohio Sprint Week, you know, with the All-Stars. And that is a hell of a commitment. Then they went home. I think they went back home and then come back out and did another swing through Knoxville and and tracks leading up to Knoxville. They didn't run the Nationals, but they did some of the preliminary stuff leading up to the Nationals. And recently, uh, they just did the World of Outlaw Swing up there in the Pacific Northwest. They did a couple – a few races up there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they did three four because they even went down to i think chico california 
mm-hmm. and did uh, did a couple shows there. Um, so they may have ran five times, I think, with Outlaws. Uh, so again, man, just I, like I said, I I, it, I like seeing young guys and girls who come to the sport with the passion that they ha- that he has, and if they can bring that, the sport will be good long after I'm gone. And uh, that's what I like to see. Absolutely. Yeah, I know the passion. Um, and, and when we see motorsports today, I mean, the YouTube front has really taken off. I mean, you look at the most yeah. popular people in racing today, and, I mean, a lot of them, part of that has to do with YouTube. And Haley Deegan, who I think you could easily say probably is the most um, famous woman in, in racing in the United States or one of them. Right now, yeah, yeah for sure. Right now. And you, and I'm not, I'm big... not, and, and you know, and I mean, you rate top 10, she's in the top 10, you know, most of all times, right? Right. Oh, yeah, and, probably. Um, I think, I think, uh, and if somebody knows better, correct me because I don't have show notes. Uh, I think last year she was one of the uh, top, like, one of the top social media interactions you know like engagements um for nascar including the cup series Um, there was a study and she had like the most um sponsorship worth i think of any lady woman in sports or something something well i didn't know that yeah i didn't realize that she was on there with like venus williams and stuff and i was just like whoa yeah so and, and they are really really good at what they do uh, with their media side. I mean, they are excellent at providing content yeah. and, um, it hats off to them. And I think it's a blueprint for people like Tanner and his sister, Carly, if she continues to want to race and, you know, you can, you can supplement your incomes in several different areas. And, and, um, it's just, it's just what you got to do these days, you know? It's funny you're talking about show notes. Yeah, we don't we don't need show notes, that's for sure. And me and my dad had a good conversation about this the other day. He's like, Man, Scott could talk about anything. You could look at the sky and say, Hey Scott, talk about that cloud for 30 minutes. And you'd be able well, to talk about the cloud for 30 minutes. Well, what I what I don't like is I don't I don't like to mislead people. So if I ever say anything to mislead somebody, I, I do apologize. Um, but I I I hate that like we recently did a show, though actually we did have show notes because of the person's time not that these other people's time is, isn't valuable, but it's a, you know, an older person and it was just his, he just didn't have a lot of time. And you almost and, feel like, um, like, I can't believe we're talking to this person. Like, or we're not, right. you know, we're not a Netflix doing a Netflix documentary and we're talking to this person. So right. It's kind of surreal, but yeah. <laughs> so, so through that, I mean, we did stuff for that to help the speed to show up, but the way we did it, we organized it and let it flow and, and that's one thing I like about our format. Um, it's just a f- free-form conversation. It can take a lot of turns. And by doing that, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a super skilled uh, interviewer. So I, there are stories I miss, like I should dig deeper or whatever. Sure. But at the end of the day, I, I just like to give people opportunity to tell their stories. And kind of whatever leads out of that organically is what I enjoy. If I have to say... You know, I, I just, I'm not, like, we knew about Ryan Hunter Ray probably losing his job or leaving his job. Maybe he left his job, whatever you want to put it. But I wasn't going to hold his feet to the fire. 
Right. You hey, know, Ryan, and what's I'm not, it like losing your ride. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> or, or you know, other people would say, "Well, Ed is is Connor Daly coming back?" And that's just not. I don't want to be that guy. I, I mean, if, right. if, that's not our. If, job. I'm sorry. And there, there I, I'm people, sorry to disappoint people, but I, that's not who I am. I'm not gonna just do that to someone. And there are people in media. I mean, that's kind of their job is to ask questions like that. And fortunately, we're doing this at our own capacity where we don't have to go down. That yeah, road. I agree. I, I think, you know, we're kidding about David Land. I think David's really blossomed into someone who can do like opinion pieces and, and still have a foot in the door. Um, you know, we, we joked with him at our Chili Bill broadcast. He's a little bit like Robin Miller. Um, Robin, uh, Robin, although Robin was a master at it, right? Like he could really give his opinion, but the people knew he was passionate enough that they, they didn't hold it against him and they could still have a conversation with him. Um, and, and that's to me is a special talent. I, I personally really don't, I don't feel I have that talent. So I'm, I'm going to kind of stay a little more away from the controversial subjects so we can steer down to get a, get a, a, a less abrasive, um, conversation so it can be really free-flowing and let people just feel comfortable oh for sure um we'll talk about racing news just for a second before we not too much so we don't have to talk about it that long but nascar at the roval um kyle larson wins the race does it again looking good for the championship definitely hits the lose at this point which i think we were saying this before the playoffs even started but I think Denny Hamlin's still going to be. I mean, yeah, oh, for sure. I, I think it's him, Denny Hamlin. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens, yeah. right? Um, I, I Kyle Larson, they overcame a bad, bad start to the day with it. With the, I believe it's a battery issue, and overcome that. And uh, I guess that happened to two other cars because Hendrick said he he thought about leaving after it happened the second time, right? And but he said he was glad he stayed and. Uh, so I mean, hats off to Larson. What a just what an amazing season! And then, uh, then you got to talk about Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott. And that's I I will I will not understand why Harvick would dump him like that early. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I understand why he did it. It didn't make any sense to me though. And then to do that early in the race and then to overdrive the corner and run it right in the fence. I mean, I mean, that's whatever term you want to use karma or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm not for dumping guys, period. I think it's a horseshit way to race. I mean, that's just how I feel. Um, but once somebody does it to you, I mean, I feel that you can do it to them. So whatever. Uh, I just, I just think it's a dumb game to play, and, and it costs everybody in the long run. Right, and but you know whether people like it or not, I think it it does help the sport as far as publicity goes. Right. I mean, so I don't. I will tell you that, like what uh, Grosjean did with Jimmy Johnson, I don't necessarily have as much problem with that. Um, like kind of getting inside of somebody as long as you don't. Because really, in a lot of ways, he did more damage to himself than he did Jimmy. Um, and if that was for the race lead on the last lap, man, everybody'd be talking about that forever, right? Um, so I, I'm probably I'm talking out maybe both sides of my mouth, but 
I just, I think there's, there's a, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. I don't think I, you know, everybody in NASCAR is like, well, you don't dump somebody early in the race. Well, if you're going to dump them at the end of the race, why not dump them at the beginning of the race? I mean, it, to me, what lap, it don't matter to me what lap, might as well dump them on lap one versus lap 499, right? Why not? Um, but so, but like I said, like Grosjean got into Jimmy and that was kind of a, like I said at the time, like a dirt track move using a Nerf bar and kind of moving the guy out of the way. IndyCar's pretty frowned upon, which I understand why, but I don't know. It's a, it's a, I don't know. It's just a thing, but I, like you said, it's good for NASCAR. People buy t-shirts, people take sides, people, you know, people love drama, right? I mean, that's why these shows like the bachelor and bachelorette come back year after year because people love having some sort of drama in their lives. But. And that's why David Lane has Calcat. And as you, you've seen the t-shirt with Calcat and the, which is sold by race 92, by the way, race 92.com. Right. That's right. You get your t-shirt, but um, they're, the t-shirt is a cat, cow cats sitting next to a, um, a um, bowl of popcorn. Yeah. Because of drama. He's, he's going to watch the drama. He's right. here for the drama. I don't know. I guess it works in some forms of racing, not in others. But and speaking of Jimmy and Grosjean, you know. they had their um, rookie orientation test last last week, and actually it, it rained towards the end of it. But I think they did two out of the three, right? So I I think did one of them complete, and the other one two out of three, or did they both do two out of three? I thought, I thought one of them completed. But, but Jimmy, Jimmy, there's a picture of Jimmy on his plane, and he had the trophy. And it said, yeah, like the so maybe he did pass. I don't know. I mean, he's going to pass, yeah. obviously, but did they just have one? One of them, at least one of them, has at least one stage left. Yeah, it, yeah, I did see that, and uh, that was pretty anticipated. It's a shame the rain come because if it was nice day, I think you would have had a pretty big crowd out there to oh, watch yeah. that, and I think you probably had a pretty decent crowd as it was. Um for people who don't live in any, these open test days and that, uh, especially in the spring, uh, man, I mean, when the weather's right, man, you get great crowds out there just to watch the cars, sit on the mound and watch the cars go around test days. I will say the last um, time I went to a test day, um, I was told I had to stand inside of a spray painted circle. Yeah. No, well, it, it, <laughs> I haven't been back there since, but that was different times. Different times. It, it was really recent, but a whole different world, right? Absolutely. Good to, you know, see racing come back to normal. Yeah. For now. Uh, hopefully it stays this way, but um, let's for see. now. So we, the only other thing I think of is Formula One, Turkish Grand Prix. Vladimir Botas, uh, I'm probably not saying his name right, won the race. Um, and then it was Red Bull, second and third. So it was um, Verstappen. Yeah, and I'm then, not sure. Um, then who's his teammate? Um, I can't even think of his name right now. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember his teammate either. Sergio. That's how far out Sergio of, Perez. That's a, there we go. That's, that's how far out of the realm F1 is for me most of the time. I will pop in and watch from here to there. But but obviously next um, year, um, Boats is going to a different team. And I think it's – I can't even remember the team now. It's like Alf, maybe um, Alfa Romeo or Williams. But anyway, so he's going to a different team next year. So this will be his first time um, – or his last time, probably maybe ever being on the podium. Hopefully not. 
but you know, definitely, definitely good to see someone other than you know Hamilton win a race, obviously. Well, yeah, and it's been pretty competitive this year. I mean, the little bit I've kind oh, of yeah. popped back Absolutely. and forth. I mean, um, so all and that's what you win. and that's what you want. I'm like, if that's what you want out of racing, you, you don't want the same winners all the time. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Schumacher days. I mean, you knew who was going to win the race. Right. I um, and speaking of F1, I'll probably watch a little more in 2022, 23, whenever that. If Michael Andretti puts this deal together to buy this team which it looks like he's got the financing and it's something like a $400 million stake for 80% of the team or something like that. Um, and that's going to be really interesting. And then there are going to be some IndyCar fans, I think highly disappointed with it because I think one of the shining stars of the sport will be going overseas for a while. And uh, Colton heard oh, I mean, absolutely. all the, all the rumors have it that this is, this is kind of for Colton Hurd, whether it's true or not, you know, I have no idea, but uh, you, you hate to see it on one level, but you do want to see American. Yeah. And, that's, and, and I think that's been his dream. Bit. I think that's one of, been one of his dreams since he was a little kid was to race. Yeah. Formula one. So you can't blame him. You no, absolutely not. I, I mean, it's, it's the money's insane. The lifestyle's insane. Um, you know, the, the cars are, the cars are the absolute maximum limit of what you can, what you're allowed to do. And, and, uh, man, I, I, I think any young driver with the talent, man, you got to do it. If you can get with a good team, you got to do it. So I, I, if that all comes together, I'll, I'm sure I'll be watching a lot more racing F1 racing, but I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just been hit or miss for me for the last few years. And then, and uh, I try to watch it, and then about 20 laps into it, I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen this before. <laughs> then I go on to something else. But, uh, but it'll, uh, yeah, it'll be a lot more exciting, I think. Me Since personally. we're um, introducing animals on the show now, <laughs> he, this there is he Ralph. Is. He, he has made um, a couple appearances on the show. Pete Hosmer, I think, was his first um, appearance. Um, yep. He tried to jump up on the table. And missed. And missed. So we had a nice yes. little discussion about him. So I thought I would go ahead and at least put him on the show. Ralph, Ralph, uh, I could see Ralph a lot when uh, when the cameras turned off. Ralph oh, yeah. likes to hang around. Ralph's around a lot. Um, but we so, anything else? Yeah, man. Uh, USAC to IndyCar news, but it's not how people think. Uh, Levi Jones, I said IndyCar, but uh, Levi Jones is moving away from his current position at USAC to uh, be kind of, I wouldn't say the head, I wouldn't know necessarily call him the head of Indy Lights, but he's right in the top of the the management group uh, of Indy Lights, which means that he was a Penske hire because Penske owns Indy Lights now. And man, good for that guy. Uh, you know, I've seen Levi numerous nights, you know, on, you know, after his racing career and, he started working for USAC and he, you know, he's on the four wheeler or the, or the ATV or UTV. And, you know, anytime there's a crash, he's there. Anytime there's decision that has to be made, he's there. He's running up and down the road. Uh, and, you know, they, you know, a lot, a lot of times they have to travel overnight from one race to another race, to another race, to another race. And, uh, I think that there was probably something there, and especially in working with USAC 
and the Speedway for the BC39 and getting the track, you know, because USAC kind of runs that track. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. And I think Roger was, you could kind of tell from the interviews and stuff they did with him, he was way more impressed with it than I thought he, than I think he thought he would be because he was so joyous over the event. Uh, and I, I would say that had, that went a long way for Levi. And uh, so congratulations to him. I, I'm not sure who that leaves to take his spot, um, but uh, he's going to leave uh, some big shoes to fill because he's, he's done a great job. And then Jack Harvey, Jack Harvey officially announced uh, to Rahel Letterman Lanigan, or however that goes, Rahel Lanigan Letterman, whatever. And there's but, one open, uh, so there's one open spot of Rahel now. The number so 30, he goes right. Number he goes car? to the 45, which is a high V car, and the 30 is open. And I think while people want Oliver Askew, and he certainly deserves a great ride, and people want Santino Ferrucci, who has proved that he is more than capable. I think it's going to go to what Christian Lingard, as David Land is kind of reporting. Um, my guess was Ryan Hunter Ray. I'm probably wrong, but that was my guess. Yeah, yeah, he, and you know they had a great relationship. Um, and you know who knows? Depending on the speedway, right? They may run fourth car. I mean, you don't know. I mean, if it, if he's only doing a speedway only deal, because you haven't really heard Ryan talk about really what he wants to do. So you know he's got. He's got wife and kids, and he's had a long career, a very successful career. You know, who knows if he wants to run the full season or not. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely getting interesting, though, because, you know, who's going to get into 30? Um, there's still a bunch of other seats that are open, and, I, and you keep hearing – you keep hearing um, Shelton saying, you know, he kind of wants a teammate. If he's going to continue to run for Carlin, he would like to get a teammate. I don't know if Carlin's actually going to go to two cars or not. So it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, this may be one of the most interesting um, off seasons for a long time. Long, long time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's going to be some, uh, a lot of changes. And, and like we said, unfortunately, there's going to be a starting to phase out of some of the guys that we've really enjoyed watching for a long time too. So and we're looking at doing a – we're going to try to do a season review show with some special guests here in the next couple of weeks, so we'll definitely kind of go into some of that stuff in more detail. Yeah, and, boy, that if that comes together, I'm so excited for that too because, um, you know, we get to talk to Mark James again, hopefully, and and um, and he's looking to bring a couple of people on and to really break down the season from their standpoint and uh, how how it all went and, and that's hopefully going to happen and it'd be very exciting for me if it does oh for me as well um be very cool so um yeah i think we'll go ahead and if you don't have anything else i don't have anything else i just want uh anybody you've, who you've already to this, said this uh, i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead i was going to say you've already said this about five times so i was going to let you say it one final time did you enjoy having tanner on the show I did. I really did. I was going to say anybody who uh, who um, watches this, uh, I hopefully Aaron can get a link to his um, 
YouTube, you know, deal. Oh, of course, absolutely. it's easy to look up. And then his merchandise deal, you know, he sells T-shirts, tries to stay on the road, and uh, just give him a chance. If like, if you don't, even if you don't like open wheel racing, um, I think you'll still. Or no, I should say open wheel racing, like sprint car type racing. Uh, please just give him a chance because I think you'll really uh, enjoy him as a person. And and he, and he sells more than just t-shirts. They, they're doing the wing panels. Um, yep. like this one right here. And actually, their wing panels, I'm pretty sure they pretty much hand make them because they, they got like the curvature and everything to them. Like the one I got, it's just a um, just a flat piece. I didn't know that. Oh, that's cool. And he's, he signs them and everything. So, yeah, no, definitely check out his merchandise. We'll, I'll link all that in the description as well, along with his YouTube channel. Yeah, you know, he's so good with the fans, too, because almost every race he, he has little kids who want to be on the um, show, you know, that's seen his videos and they want to be in the video, and he always tries to give them a moment to do it. So, you know, just building those bridges for the future, man. Yeah, and and I think really in dirt racing, I mean, you know, any of those drivers know. I mean, they do it for the fans, so you know, got to be nice to the fans. That's really with motorsports in general. And we, hey, we could have a we could have a two hour episode talking about that alone. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's so funny how um, IndyCar and NASCAR flip flopped because you know, forever, forever, IndyCar drivers were super accessible and you know they lived in you know in month of may they'd stay at your next door neighbor's house and all that and then the money got good and and uh, the as the drivers come along after those those drivers you know they started become less and less and less accessible and, and then nascar was sold itself on being so accessible i mean richard petty signed autographs for everybody who wanted one um he has a long autograph i mean it's his full name so yeah it it's a it's beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful autograph man. yeah oh for sure and um you know and even somebody who's a, now a car owner in the sport brad doherty talks about how much that meant to him uh when richard signed autographs for him and you know brad doherty wore the number 43 his entire playing career i think i didn't realize that yeah and uh and then, you know, so all those drivers were so accessible and then the money got good and they all started getting planes and helicopters and they stopped traveling in station wagons and all that. And it went back to where they were unaccessible. Well, IndyCar kind of lost its edge and all of a sudden wasn't as popular and there wasn't as much money. And, and it seems like this, especially this generation that's now, you know, getting up in their late thirties through their forties, they've been so accessible The Tony Kanaz of the world and Scott Dixon and all those guys that go on and on. And, yeah. um, they've really carried this torch to, to bring that accessibility back. And the younger drivers I feel are falling right behind them. Uh, Pato and, and, uh, Alex and, you know, these guys are very accessible. I feel they're good oh, dudes. All you know, of them are, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're just good guys, and I just I think that they've embraced that. And and you know, we talked about Robin Miller, and I think you gotta you gotta give it to Robin Miller somewhat too, because he would take all those drivers like Kanan and and Frank Keating, those guys, he'd take it to the state fair every year, and he would 
you know, they would shoot hoops and they would interact with the, the fans. And, and I think this, it was, he allowed them to kind of generate that mindset if they didn't already kind of have it. And, you know, and you hear him talk about how much fun they had and how much they enjoyed doing it. Um, hopefully it stays that way for a long time. Well, um, we'll go ahead and get into Tanner Holmes. And um, before I do that, once again, I want to thank everyone for watching and listening and make sure you stay tuned. We have um, some really good ones coming up for sure. Um, we, to give a little bit of a hint, we have two guys that are both on the top five all-time wins list in IndyCar. So definitely stay tuned for those. Those will yeah. be some good ones. Yeah, I agree. And, and they were both so they were both very fun to do. So. Oh, hope everyone well, enjoys. Yeah, please, everybody enjoy, and I hope everybody has a great week, and take care. Joining us this evening is Tanner Holmes. Tanner Holmes is a sprint car driver from out in the west in the Oregon area, and very popular YouTube channel. Uh, young man who just making his way in the racing world. Please welcome Tanner Holmes. Hey, thank you guys for having me today. Super excited to talk to you. Uh, super excited to talk to you. I've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've looked at our other videos. We've had a lot of IndyCar guys in that on here. Uh, but you you are definitely someone that I've wanted to talk to for quite some time. Uh, just because um, I have that same kind of background as you do as far as in the open world world. Um, yeah, I've been in open world racing my entire life. I mean, literally my entire life. And uh, it's just always so good to see young people come into the sport. And I, I love the way you do it. And I love the way you um, let the world see what you're doing through your YouTube channel. And uh, I just, I can't thank you enough for being here. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's really fun what we get to do. You know, racing is a, uh, it's an incredible sport and there's so much that goes on. And I think that's like one thing that, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, like with a lot of the social media stuff, it's just things kind of get missed. So it is fun that we get to, you know, post a lot of stuff and, and give viewers an insight and, um, you know, kind of bring them into what our race team does on a weekly basis, not only at the track, but also, you know, in the week where most of the work really takes place. Yeah. People just, I think people have a better idea today, but it, auto racing is not glamorous, uh, no. on any level, man, it is, it is, uh, I mean, the driver, if you're a successful driver, uh, you have really great days. Um, and you get to stay on top of the cage and you get to wave that flag. But uh, you're going to have a lot more days where you don't do that than you do do it. And it just it, it's a, it's a, it's just a love. I mean, you just have to love it. And that's what comes through. That is the thing that really intrigued me about your videos, how much you love it. You're not – it's like – your social media is an extension of your racing. You're not yeah. trying to just uh, race so you can have social media. I mean, it, you are a racer, and then you're just trying to share that with the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's one of my favorite parts about it is just, you know, bringing people along for my journey. You know, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm so blessed to be able to do what I do, and I'm definitely in a, you know, I guess a category of people that – you know, I've been able to get those opportunities, you know, a lot of people don't get the chance to race. Uh, but yeah, you know, I have parents that support me. And we just we kind of as a family, we put everything into our racing between myself and my younger sister. 
And so I think that was kind of, you know, part of why, since I do have this opportunity and then also a combination of, you know, loving social media and kind of, you know, with my age bracket, that's kind of what's so popular nowadays, you know, all these things are popping off and people are, you know, sharing their unique sports or their unique talents. And so I just figured, you know what, I've always wanted to do that. And I wanted to do some sort of social media and I wanted to, to, you know, get into it. And I thought, you know what, we do this racing thing. Why not give it a try? So it is, it's so cool to be able to reach out to new audiences and, and get more people excited in the sport, because the only way to kind of grow it is to do that and, and reach out to a new group of people. Yeah. And for anybody who hasn't watched Tanner's videos yet, uh, he and his sister have a great relationship. I mean, from the surface, there's absolutely no jealousy. You are her number one fan. She is your number one fan. And uh, I think me personally, in a sport that can really create um, kind of division between family members yeah. if they both race, uh, I think that's a really great thing to see. Now, I haven't seen you guys race together on the track yet. Yeah. Uh, I think you have in the uh, in the, uh, outlaw the cards. cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even at that, I mean, whatever happens on the racetrack is the racetrack and, yeah. and, uh, I just, I think that is just such a great thing to see personally and kind of take us through the journey. I mean, did you have any type of racing background in your family? No, no, we did not at all. It's actually, it's kind of, I always like to joke with people and say, you know, it's really, it's crazy that I ended up in the spot that I am. Because my dad wasn't a racer, my mom wasn't a racer, I have no family members that were really involved with the sport. Like the most knowledge my parents had about auto racing at all was my dad went to a couple of NASCAR races growing up, you know, because we're from the West Coast, so they have Sonoma, the road course, about six hours south. So they would kind of do a road trip maybe in the 90s, and he would go there. Um, a couple of times and then my mom also grew up in California where there's some dirt track racing mm -hmm. and she maybe went to the races a couple times on a Friday night or a Saturday night um, with friends but not with the intent of really being involved with the sport more like of an uh, being being at an event and just having fun so uh, I got started in 2009 actually my dad uh, we have a family business and he had a couple of buddies that he was doing some work with and one of the customers that he was dealing with actually had a go-kart and somehow in all the work and whatnot, it got traded across uh, <laughs> our way because my dad's friend convinced him like, Hey, maybe you should, you know, get your son involved with racing because we had a local track about 20 minutes away from my house. And uh, my dad's friend, his name was Bob. He's really the one I probably owe it all to because he's the one that convinced my dad and, and, you know, got him to get that go-kart because, you know, when we first started, it, it, it didn't really go great. I obviously wasn't really on the gas. It took me a lot, long time to get up to speed. I mean, I was five years old. You know, what do you, what do you really expect out of a young kid? It obviously takes time. So my dad was ready to throw in the towel after about a season of just racing locally because I was, you know, getting lapped. I wasn't up to speed. But finally, I, I, I won a race after a season or two. And from there, we just started progressing more and more and, and traveling to new tracks. Uh, being from Southern Oregon, we have um, a lot of outlaw cart racing, which isn't the most popular form of probably getting started for dirt track stuff, but that's what's really popular out here in, in Oregon and California. So we started racing outlaw carts, which they have a, um, you know, a crazy power to weight ratio. You have a lot of speed and, and they teach you, you know, how to race it, um, you know, fast pace and where things are happening very quickly. So I just got started in the outlaw carts and just kind of worked my way up and we traveled more and more and 
um, you know, got some opportunities and then eventually got into sprint car racing. And from there, we've just always worked on building our own program. Um, obviously, there's, a, you know, a chance to race with other people. And I've got to do that here and there. But really, we've always just done things as a family. And that all started back in 2009. And every year since, it just seems like we're racing a little bit more. Well, this year seems like you're racing a lot of bit more. Yes. Yes. Oh, we've been, <laughs> we've been running a ton in 2021. Yeah. And I think part of that is just because last year we, uh, I mean, we got to run a, a handful of shows, but you know, the whole pandemic thing definitely yeah. affected a lot. And we didn't even get to really start racing until I think uh, June it was. And, and part of another blessing that, you know, we have out here is since we do run the outlaw carts, those race in the winter time. So we, we don't ever really slow down. We have some slower months, but uh, because of, you know, some, some of the opportunities we have with a couple of the teams actually in Outlaw Carts, um, I have a team that takes care of a car for me. And just whenever I'm available, I can go down there and race if I want to and, you know, not have a, a lot of worries. So that's super nice. But yeah, pretty much every, every month of the season, um, you know, every month of the year, we will we'll be at some racetrack somewhere and, and we document every single night we're there. What is the, um, I, I'm not super familiar with the, with the um, outlaw carts, obviously I've seen the videos, but like how, how, what's the top speed of those? So at the, the larger racetracks we go to, we're probably going about 70 miles an hour in qualifying. That's usually at the, the highest speeds of the night because, you know, under track oh, racing, wow. the tracks usually slow down, but uh, it has the same power to weight ratio as a, a 410 sprint car, which is an, another you know, dirt track car. But um, it definitely, you can feel it. And part of it's just because of how low to the ground you are. So, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're an inch off the surface of the track and you get going and then throughout the night, the track will um, definitely slow down. But, you know, we have places that range from like a, a one tenth mile to like a, a one eighth. And so um, obviously very, very small places. And a lot of them are narrow and you don't get up to that 70 mile an hour range, maybe 30 to 40 to 50. But, um, you know, like I said, with how, how quickly they accelerate and things happen, you know, when people start wrecking, even though you're only going 30 or 40 or 50 miles an hour, like it, it all happens just like that. And um, it's usually chaos, but I, I definitely would give a, a lot of where I'm at because of starting in outlaw carts in some of the regions I grew up in. What would you say the, the big difference was going from like outlaw car to a sprint car? I mean, you were saying like the, the weight ratio is pretty similar. And when you look at guys, uh, you know, like indie car guys, they start out in, you know, regular carts and they go into like formula car racing. And I would imagine going from one of those cars to, to, you know, a formula car would just be completely drastic. Would you say it's just as much drastic going from like an outlaw car to a sprint car? Or is it more kind of similar? Yeah. I think the biggest thing with outlaw carts is just like how they are set up. So like sprint cars mm -hmm. have shocks and torsion bars and suspension. Outlaw carts don't have any of that. They don't really have a lot of adjustment. I mean, you're just riding on a, a rear axle and front spindles. Right. And so it is a much rougher ride. You know, you feel every single bump in the track. So as far as like being in the seat, that is different versus sprint cars on a rougher track. You know, you have those shocks and you have how the chassis rides. Uh, but as far as driving it, they definitely race differently. You know, racing an outlaw car or racing anything helps, in my opinion, for other, other forms of racing and other classes, even transitioning maybe over from dirt to asphalt and stuff like that. But um, definitely how you would race an outlaw cart is, uh, you know, 100% different than how would you race a sprint car. And like I talked about, a lot of it goes to in sprint cars, you're just going much faster. So you have a lot more what they call wing speed, 
which is where you deal with um, aerodynamics and kind of what's going on with cars in front of you and different lines you can run versus outlaw carts in a way are, are like a go-kart. So you're kind of just, I mean, you can run many different lines on the track and not be affected by aero as much and whatnot. Uh, but as far as driving them completely different driving styles, I would say sprint cars too. You're a lot more up on the wheel because of how the front and rear axles. So a lot of times you'll see guys, they call sawing on the wheel back and forth um, versus outlaw carts. If you watch the, the hands in the cockpit, it's actually more of just keeping the car straight and you don't want to, you don't want to twitch as much. So they are, um, they're both a lot of fun. And I like to, you know, run our sprint car stuff in the summertime and the outlaw car stuff is, you know, like I said, more in the winter when we uh, can race indoors and have no issues with weather and rain outs and stuff like that. So outlaw carts. Um, so you, you said that you, you, that you race those indoors. So is it just like indoor racetracks or do they actually like convert, like, I don't know, like a basketball stadium or something into a car they, racing? Uh, they've done that before. That's those events are a little bit more rare. So back in 2015, <laughs> they actually, I don't remember what it was called, but um, like where the Indiana Pacers play, they actually. Oh yeah, I went there. Yeah, they they converted. I went to that race. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's, it was called the Indy Invitational. Yep. Um, I think it was, and so they converted that whole thing. But that's more rare. Uh, most of our stuff is all like we have our outdoor tracks, and then all of our indoor stuff, which out here on the West Coast is usually at like a fairgrounds facility, and maybe the same buildings they would use for like a rodeo or cow show or whatever. Uh, we have to compete with those guys. And what happens is like maybe one weekend they have the, they have that facility. And then the next weekend we have to come in, build the track or, you know, the, the crew builds the track and um, the organizations and stuff like that. So all of our indoor tracks you can imagine are much smaller than our outdoor facilities, but usually it's an all in one. The, the grandstands are indoors, everything. And there, like I said, no issues of, you know, weather or rainouts or anything because, um, you know, you're indoors. So that's a nice luxury, especially in the wintertime when, you know, the weather is, is not as good, but uh, it would be cool to see more shows like they had in 2015. We talked about in Indiana because mm -hmm. that, that brings in a much larger crowd, oh, yeah. but, um, you know, it's, but it is tough because they have to, they have to do so much to build a track and, you know, modify right. it. And I remember the ventilation and I know, and I'm sure you can speak on this copy. I'm sure you went to those races. They used to do sprint car races at, I think RCA dome or the Hoosier dome. And well, the, they did one. My they dad did was one telling me race. they did the one ventilation race. was terrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they did a bunch of midget races there. It, yeah, and it was really bad because you couldn't open doors because it was a dome, and and right. so you had to let the air exchange system because you can't open both doors on on the dome where it collapses. But uh, I yeah, it, that before <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. One time leaving there, somebody hit one of those doors with a trailer, and it took like four o'clock in the morning. Till they could, wow. everybody could leave because they, if they, you know, that door wouldn't shut, so they couldn't let people out of the building. Um, you know, uh, around here, I, I know, and I'm sure you know Bernie uh, from Indy Race Parts, and yeah. and uh, you know, he's, I know he's trying to make a go of it uh, with uh, with the outlaw carts and uh, Chewy and some of those other guys, and uh, I, I don't know how much of a foothold they've taken here. Um, it seems to me it's one of those things that somebody doing it just has to be really committed to it. Um, you know, and it has to be kind of their main deal uh, to really make that go. And uh, I, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, as far as like, how much do you have your finger in? Do you have any, you know, finger in the promotional side of the business or is it just all, 
um, just racer right now when it comes to outlaw carts? Uh, yeah, right now I it's all racing. Uh, one day though, I mean, I think overall whether it's carts or like a combination of carts and and, and larger cars and dirt track racing. I would definitely love to be a promoter. Like, I think when I decide that I don't want to race or whatever that looks like, we don't know. Uh, but I think like owning a race tractor, you know, promoting a series would be a blast. And especially in outlaw carts, because right now, like they are so healthy in Northern California. I mean, they're getting like, you know, on good nights, they're getting 200 carts a night spread out across six classes. I mean, there's so many kids involved. And, and it was almost a weird thing where, almost, I'm not saying the pandemic actually ended up helping outlaw carts, but because there was like nothing else to do, but outlaw carts were still able to have some races at some certain tracks where they were able to, you know, I don't know, find a loophole or just make things work uh, with spectators because outlaw carts don't get a whole lot of spectators compared to bigger, right. bigger forms of racing, I guess you could say. Uh, and so, I mean, they're so healthy right now and that's part of what's making it almost tough to expand because a lot of the manufacturers out here you know, aren't able to send parts up other places because they need them for out here. But uh, I would definitely like to get involved in owning a racetrack, you know, whether that's, um, you know, in the Midwest or out here kind of in my home in, in the Pacific Northwest. But I just think it'd be so much fun because, you know, we just don't have, we don't have as many tracks and we don't have a whole lot of series as, as I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to have. So just with the right people involved, things could get much bigger. Just right now, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of where they're at and, and hopefully they'll grow in the years to come. They're kind of in pockets right now, right? Yes. Just oh, pockets. Yeah, like yeah. out here on the West Coast. So between, so I'm from Southern Oregon. I'm about 30 minutes from California. Um, so we're really close to the border. About three hours north of me to about, uh, you know, maybe another four hours south of me. So like maybe a seven to 10 hour range just down uh, I-5. You know, I mean, that's kind of where outlaw carts are as far as out here. And then, you know, Washington doesn't really have anything up in Montana. There's like a super small pocket, but then you have to head on over towards, uh, you know, like Indiana doesn't really have a whole lot, but Iowa and Illinois kind of got their own thing. And then Oklahoma and Texas do. So it's, it's still growing. And a lot of that's just where all the different dealers throughout the country are located. Uh, but like I said, I, I think it will start expanding just the hardest part. Like I always tell people, you have a, a company like QRC who I work with so many great people, they support my racing, but you know, they, they have maybe, you know, eight to 10 employees and those guys are all building carts for, you know, the whole nation. So it's like, and they're just out here in California. So not only are they trying to supply the healthy car counts that they have in their area, but also, you know, the four to six other regions that are, that are blooming across the country. So it, it's difficult, but at the same time, I guess that's a, a good problem to have in a way. Right. North Carolina's pretty hopping too, right? Yeah, they, they were, and, and it's kind of been up and down over there because I know a lot of their tracks switched over to the micro sprints, and mm -hmm. so that kind of, I felt like, not maybe made a, a decline, but I think there's just some other manufacturers involved over there and, and people that are kind of going a little bit of a different route than kind of what we have out here, but um, they definitely have some fun tracks that I got the chance to experience, and hopefully one day we'll get to go back. Yeah. What are your uh, trophies there? Where are they from? The trophies I have here. So these are actually from Outlaw Carts. These are um, one of or two of them the same. The two eagles uh, on the left and right, those are championship trophies at the Red Bluff Outlaws, which is where we run every single winter. And I, I started racing there in 2010 or 2011, and I haven't missed a race since. Like that is that is my place for racing Outlaw Carts. I love it. It's it's a different form. It's a little bit more. It's, it's a little physical type of racing. It's super small bull ring indoors 
but um, I just grew up racing there. And that's kind of what taught me, in my opinion, how to be uh, a driver. And then the one in the middle is from their biggest race. Uh, we won in 2014. It's called the West Coast Nationals. So people from all over the country will come. It's like a big three day show. Uh, but but Red Bluff's unique in its own way. And, you know, some people like it, some people don't. It's just just like any other track. But uh, this winter, for example, they'll have 12 points races. And I'm sure we'll have about 200 carts every single night in, in about 40 to 50 in my division. So it's uh, it's a blast. Yeah. So in your uh, in your racing, was it always the thing if you're going to do it, you got to work on it? Or did you or did you grow into working on the cards, cards and in the cars? Definitely being honest, I definitely grew more into it. Uh, I was fortunate that my dad, he's always been a very mechanical person. So Mm -hmm. at a younger age, like I I tried, I definitely could have put in more effort. I'm talking like, you know, maybe between the ages of like nine and 12 years old, because there's some kids now that are so hands on at a super young age. And I just never had that um, had that talent or ability. I just was never, you know, like my younger sister, Carly. I don't know what it was, but she was born with the be able to hold two nine sixteenth wrenches and just, you know, you know, change an axle or fix a front end or a top wing, like all these things. Um, I just I didn't have that ability. You know, I always tell people, and this is a true story. You know, one day I think I was maybe, you know, 12 years old and I really was trying to help my dad get ready for the race weekend. And I was just in the shop and there was a big bottle of antifreeze and I reached over to hand him something. I knocked the antifreeze all over the shop floor. And so that, you know, that's kind of an example of just how I was. I was a little more clumsy than most. Uh, But definitely since we got more involved in sprint cars, I've been way more hands-on learning. And I I would say I definitely came a long way. I probably couldn't necessarily go to the races 100% by myself. uh, But with a little bit of help, I definitely think I, I, I could get most things done. The sprint car, I'm still learning a lot more. The hardest part with that um you know putting them together isn't bad it's just it's more on the setup side of things because just like any car it takes years and years to learn what um every little trick is and what every adjustment does and and you know what adjustment is right for each situation so um definitely became more hands-on and then also my younger sister has been hands-on since she started uh so i guess overall that combination uh really works but yeah, every every single week we're in the race shop and we're getting the cars ready to go. Well, uh, a word of advice to you: uh, get to know your tire suppliers very well. Yes, and learn everything you can about those tires because people think, "Oh, they're just tires." Mm-mm. I agree. those things change all the time. Yeah, and uh, what you got at the beginning of the year is and what you get in the middle of the year is and what you're getting at the end of the year. And, um, especially this year, right. I yeah. mean, because, because of the tire shortages it's, and how, how were you, how were you guys able to manage that through that, especially through that swing from Ohio out to the plains and, and, you know, back home. So we've actually been super lucky that when we were able to go out to the Midwest, that's when we stocked up on tires. So I, I don't know, all, I don't know the reasoning or the politics or whatever it is behind it, but for some reason, like like they are not sending tires out here to the, to the West coast. So it's been, it's been, it's been bad, especially because the hardest part is in, like I said, there's so many reasons behind it or or whatever, but um, like, for example, some of the tracks we've been running close by, they're still sticking to a very similar tire rule. They haven't like, so like on the 410, we run a certain tire, it's called an H tire. So that's what they Mm -hmm. run. And it's a, a different compound and everything to than what we run in the 360s or our limited slash 305s kind of. 
Um, so like we had a bunch of leftover tires from that, that we brought home after Ohio because we were hoping to run them all locally because they were going to supposedly, hopefully open up the tire rule, but things didn't. And so we kind of just, you know, we're super limited to what we have, but, uh, for the most part, regardless if there was a shortage or not, we still get all the use possible. You know, we don't just run a tire for like a hot lap session, throw it away type thing. Um, we always flip them so we can get, you know, more use. And we just, um, you know, all the tires, like for example, when we run the, the 360, since you can run the same tires on the 360 and the limited, like if the tire doesn't seem very good for a 360, cause you do need to, you need to try to really put good stuff on. If, if, if one's not looking good, you need to dismount it and get rid of it. But like a tire like that, that maybe isn't necessarily suitable for a 360, we could run on the limited with Carly or myself where it, it doesn't matter as much. So we just, regardless if there was a shortage or not, we would, we would manage our situation. But the two times we've been out to the Midwest, we would stock up on right rears and left rears that were not available here. So I guess, you know, that was an advantage for us because we could get tires sure. that no one else could out here where they're stuck to, um, you know, a different compound that, you know, is close, but it's still different. Right. Yeah. I, I know some tire dealers that, you know, that are like local dealers, not Hoosier, obviously, but man, and they have a hard time getting tires. It's, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, when you, so, you know, you, you run, you run the carts and then how receptive were your parents to going and run the sprint car? Was it, you know, was it something because sprint cars are pretty daunting. Uh, I mean, people, I think today people kind of look at them and don't look at them the same way as somebody like myself who, you know, when I was a kid, they were, really evil you know today they're you know you got the different seats and and all that but anyway um i mean but still you know as a parent that isn't always an easy sell how did i mean were they easy with it or was it something that you you know they felt confident in your ability here so like okay we'll take a chance on this yeah i think it was uh you know, it wasn't necessarily an, an easy sell. Like my mom is still one of the most nervous people in the pit area to this day. You know? I've seen the videos. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like it gets caught a little bit, but like, I mean, I mainly don't put it in or maybe you hear a little bit of screaming or especially yeah. if things go wrong. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, it was tough, but I think part of it was we just kind of like, you know, with all the friends we met in the younger years and maybe people that were ahead of us, we saw the routes that they took. So you can almost, you can kind of learn from maybe some of their mistakes or the routes they went that went well. Uh, and then also just kind of how things lined up. You know, when we were much younger in the karting days, we had our local track here 20 minutes from our house that did race sprint cars. So we got to watch the World of Outlaws when they came through the bigger national touring series. And so, you know, that right there obviously was appealing. And then uh, just how things lined up, you know, out here in the Pacific Northwest, they have this great starter sprint car class called the Limited, which it's not mm -hmm. a 305. It's, it's a little bit of a different engine package, but it makes about 550, 600 horsepower, which is about 150 to 200 horsepower less than a real 360. So the whole theory behind the class is to be more affordable, get started, and you can, you know, you can race at quite a few different tracks in the state and not have to travel too terribly far. So I think for the most part, it's kind of been successful. It definitely goes in waves. Uh, but we had a couple of friends that got started in that about a year before we were, I, or I was eligible to race at the age of 14. Once you turn 14, uh, you can race sprint cars in the state of Oregon. And so uh, with one of the guys that my, my dad had also met, he, he actually, they traded, he had a sprint car 
and we traded for it. And um, we took some parts off of that because it was a super old car. And then we ended up uh, purchasing an old roller from another team here locally and just kind of put, put everything together, you know, slowly built it up, got an engine. Well, one of my dad's friends that uh, is one of the parts suppliers here in town, he builds engines. So he built the engine for us. And then we just, um, you know, like I said, slowly put it together and eventually uh, got to run, I think, four races in the year. I think it was uh, 2017. We got to run four races. And that was that was a blast. That's kind of how we got started. That was at the end of the season. And then from there, we continued to meet people. You learn about different tracks to go to, different series to run with, um, whether that's going north towards Washington or south towards California. And from there, we just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I, I, I would say a lot of it was with the, the YouTube channel as part of, I think, what, where we're at and why we do travel as much, because that's a, a huge incentive too. Um, mm -hmm. But but it's the whole thing's been a, a blast and it's definitely been one of the biggest learning lessons of my, my life, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, be a good sprint car driver and learn every, you know, every, uh, every part of the team, not only the, the working on the car side, but the driving side to the promotional side to everything about it and try to, you know, take it to where I want it to be one day. So it has been a, I guess you could say it wasn't an easy sell, but now everybody's kind of on board and we're, we're heading forward. So right. how did the how did the um, YouTube idea start of having the, a YouTube channel? So the YouTube idea, uh, I kind of I mentioned at the beginning a little bit. So as a as a young kid, I think I kind of grew up at the time where YouTube was really starting to become more and more popular, maybe between mm -hmm. 2014, 2015. And I feel like that's when the the term vlogging really started to pop up. Right. And man, I had these vloggers that I'd watch every single day, you know, and they would do uh, a lot of them were actually doing different types of sports, you know, like um, one of the big ones I watched was a big trampoline flipper. And I, I've never been interested in, in that stuff, but I started watching him on like, this is so cool. And then another one was um, uh, did a lot of tricks on like scooter riding and all this stuff at these skate parks. And like I said, I was never involved with that. So I started finding all these people so interesting and I wanted to start my own thing. And then like one day it kind of dawned on me that like, Hey, maybe, you know, I'm a racer. That's my unique sport. What if uh -huh. I try to tie that in? And, and so I ended up starting a channel in August of uh, 2016. And I, I will say, cause my, my mom does watch all the podcasts I go on. So I do have to give her credit that uh, she was one of the big people that was in my ear, you know, telling me, I think you need to start something um, media wise. Cause especially back in 2016, man, there was not a lot of, you know, not a lot of stuff in dirt track racing. I think the asphalt side of things has a lot more media dirt track racing. I don't know what it is, but it, it's kind of second to it. But uh, so I started a channel in 2016, posted my first vlog, uh, September 6th of 2016. And from there, just, you know, things kind of seemed all right. I think I posted my first video and I gained 18 subscribers and I was like, man, this is kind of cool. And so I just, you know, started putting more effort and more effort and more effort. And uh, I think kind of going into 2017, I made a commitment to myself to post two times a week. So started doing that. And I mean, every week since then, at least two times a week or, you know, at least get a video up and, uh, you know, just try new things. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, probably my first two and a half, three, heck, maybe four you know, maybe within the last year, my stuff, I feel like it's just gotten better and better. But, um, you know, you just you kind of learn. And also, I think being 13 years old, I, I was just at that age of, of trying it. But, you know, I didn't know what I was doing editing wise, you know, making connections, anything, replying to comments. 
I just was posting videos and, and seeing what was happening. So um, I, I think it was just a, a really fun process and definitely something I, I, I probably wouldn't change any of the steps that we did. Right. When you look at, you know, a lot of, you know, like outlaw cards, for example, as you say, a lot of people don't go to the races. So, you know, really having that on YouTube is a, a big way to promote it and then definitely promote your sponsors. And, um, and, and to be honest, I probably would have never heard of Tanner Holmes if I didn't see the YouTube channel. So it definitely, that's definitely proof that it works. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was, uh, that was definitely the idea behind it, you know, mm -hmm. multiple different things. Like you said, not only to help my racing, but I genuinely did have a, have an interest in, you know, liking, liking to create videos and, and even a little bit on the editing side and learning how to get better. I know a lot of things or a lot of drivers nowadays are trying to get more involved with social media. And I'm not right. saying a lot of it is forced, but you know, you can kind of tell when like, a lot of it's forced. You can tell, you can tell when it's forced. Yeah. You can tell the difference. When, yeah. when someone is, you know, actually, you know, interested in, in wanting to do something, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's definitely helped more on the, you know, on the sponsorship side and just making connections and uh, getting me my opportunity with, with factory QRC, which is that team I drive for in outlaw carts and, and they they stand behind it and love that. So um, it's just been a, a fun journey and I would definitely encourage anyone that wants to get involved, whether that's, you know, having your own podcast or starting mm -hmm. videos or anything, maybe writing articles, like any form of social media right now, it's definitely a, a train to hop on if you're interested and, and kind of, you know, you can, you can put so much effort into it and really see it grow. Yeah. That's really I, uh, how I agree. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead there. No, I was going to say, that's kind of, you know, what happened with us is we just want yeah. to find a way to get involved. And, you know, I, I do all the editing and stuff. And like yeah. you said, you know, it just takes a lot of time to kind of get used to it. And, but after a while, I mean, I've picked it up pretty quickly and, um, you know, I do some other video stuff too. And yeah, no, it's a blast. Like you said, I've, you know, I grew up watching, other, you know, a bunch of different YouTube channels. I mean, for example, there's a mountain bike guy I watch. And because of that, I got into mountain bike riding last year. So, you know, I watch anything from that. to There's a guy in Cincinnati that goes to garage sales. Oh, like, that's cool. I yeah, watch so that it's a, too. Yeah. Yeah. I watch garage sales all the time. There's a guy from Indianapolis that goes to garage sales and uh, froggy flips or some, something My like that. My dad watches that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, man. I don't know, these guys always have these great finds at Goodwill, too. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, they start flipping stuff. That's so neat. I love that stuff. Well, yeah, we talk I know, about right? like YouTube. I would say like YouTube, motorsport YouTube influencers, like the first person I really think of, and you may have a different opinion on this, Tanner, was really Ken Block. He was really kind of like the first on the trend of it with the Gymkhana videos. And it seemed like since then, you know, the whole social media with motorsports really kind of took off. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And honestly, that was almost a little, I feel like before, because I mean, actually it's probably once I got started and started seeing like the Ken Block stuff because more of my <laughs> friends showed me that. Um, but yeah, that really, I think helped put it on the map. And now like, it seems like more people are trying to, you know, more vlog, whether that's on the oh, asphalt yeah. or dirt, I won't lie. I'm a little bit more, um, I don't really know what the right word would be, but like, you know, I, I'm so involved with dirt racing. I just, I don't really see what maybe some of the other people are creating on the, the Formula One side or IndyCar or all those. I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't actually have a lot of knowledge on all the different series, uh, but I'm sure there's definitely people giving it a shot. Um, and, and I feel like now more than ever, you know, is a chance to, you know, create your own thing and start doing it because there's, there's so many more viewers on YouTube for the, uh, right. the racing industry and dirt and asphalt specifically, just because, 
of, you know, like what, you know, Ken Block started back then. And then, you know, it just slowly over time build up as more creators got on the platform. Um, I, I guess there's always been uh, an audience there. There just wasn't always creators. And now there's more and, and it's, you know, kind of, um, you know, going up on both sides. It, it's really funny. Like when I was a kid, like I said, uh, you know, I'm 52 now. So I uh, went to my very first race, 1969. <laughs> I mean, I was literally six weeks old. Um, as a kid growing up, so how we found out about racing was Speed Sport magazine. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I know you hear about Speed Sport today. People don't understand what a big deal Speed Sport was. Um, like, I, the only way I would ever hear about Tanner Holmes would be if I read Speed Sport. And I would read it from front to back. And I did that for 30 plus years. And then, you know, Sprint Car and Midget come along. And um, and back when they had real, and I say this not to be mean to anybody, back when they were writing real articles, like they, they had some people that were just writing these articles right when the Outlaws first started and they were writing, you know, these guys were just traveling and, and writing about sprint car racing and midget racing. And, uh, and these guys were telling great stories. And so it was all print medium. And then as social media had, has come along, the noise cancels so much out that you, in so many ways you have to kind of go looking for it now. Yeah. And, um, and I, and to be honest with you, you know, I haven't read sprint car midget or whatever it's called today. And, and again, man, I don't mean anything against whoever runs that. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's Shaheen that owns, uh, what speed sport today or whatever that is. And I, I don't mean anything against all that, but, um, I just don't go looking for it there. And so YouTube is really where I kind of find racing. Um, and then that's where I found you. Uh, and I found Mandy Pouch, um, you know, and her boyfriend kind of following her boyfriend, her family, of course, Billy Pouch, yeah. such a big name in racing. Uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to watch Billy, you know, Billy senior race. Um, so you know, it, it's le at least today we have, uh, you know, it's have some outlets again that isn't quite so noisy that we can find this. Uh, you know, I don't, I, and I still don't watch a lot of people. I, I really, I watch you and I watch them. Now I watch some highlights from here and there. And then I watch David Gravel every once in a while. And, uh, but, you know, there is a lot of it out there, a lot of late model stuff, it seems like, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, at least it's at least it's there for people to find, which I think is great. And and that's one thing I really appreciate about your content is that you are just doing what you do. And like kind of like I said earlier, you just uh, you open your doors and you allow people to go along for the ride. And there's nothing forced. There's nothing fake. You make a mistake. You own up to it. You know, you're not in somebody's, you know, trying to blame somebody. Um, and you, you learn, uh, you know, you can just see a, a young person learning his way through the sport. And that's what I really appreciate about watching your stuff. Um, thank you. So, yeah, it's, you uh, know, so yeah, go ahead. Oh, it, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it's, it's like you said, every, everything you said is, is right, right there. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely been one of the, the, the crazy parts about it too, is 
you know, kind of being, being open to, you know, creating the videos and, and letting people, you know, letting people watch, having that audience, but I'm not going to lie. Like it, it has been tough at certain times, especially like, sure. like a lot of times things don't go right, unfortunately in the sport of racing. And then it's like, all right, well, this wasn't good. Or, you know, wh- why did we do this? Or wh- why did this guy pass us? Why do we run that line? Like it just, you know, that happens all the time or, you know, you know, sometimes you don't get the the setup on the car, right. And so that's like all that stuff kind of combined. Uh, it definitely, you know, that's another, that's another area where I've learned so much and just, um, you know, like you said, you, you just own up to your mistakes. Things do happen. And unfortunately, you know, I'm not perfect. I, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not Kyle Larson or something crazy at the moment. Uh, but yeah, so it's, um, it's definitely, that's definitely been a, a huge part of the journey and it, it's been, um, fun and a huge learning lesson for me to, you know, allowing people to be there and also, you know, showing not only the highs of racing, mm-hmm. because there is so much, you know, glory or whatever, especially at the high levels, I guess. But as you said earlier in the show, you know, racing is not as glamorous as it looks in, in many different areas. And, you know, being a crew guy or, you know, being a driver is awesome. Uh, but there's plenty of situations where, I mean, there's so much more into it than really, you know, what it just looks like. That's one thing I was going to mention was, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, there, there's so many YouTube guys who just show the highs. And the thing with you is, you know, as you were saying, you saw the highs and the lows. Um, and I remember seeing, I think it was like like a couple months ago, I, I watched Haley Deegan's videos sometimes. And she had a video on there in the thumbnail. Um, and I always think it's funny because a thumbnail image is like, you know, it's kind of like judging a book by its cover. You got to yeah. have a, you know, I've, I do some YouTube video stuff here and there. And I know how important like a good thumbnail image is. And, um, you know, something about worst day of their life and they're like crying in the video. And there's just so many people who just don't, you know, don't show the highs and lows. And that's something that's, you know, I think is important to do. And um, that's definitely something that you do. And I definitely like that about your channel. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely important. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you kind of like, you guys know, consuming content, I consume content you start kind of watching, you start picking up on stuff and it just, it's almost too good to be true. And, and, yeah. and don't get me wrong. It's really tough. It's tough to share the bad nights and like how to word things and how to share all the information or, you know, maybe there's, there's something that goes wrong and you're trying to explain it. So people understand, but you know, in, in all the right ways, because you say a couple things wrong and, and then, you know, maybe you're making excuses or things like that happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just, that's so much that that goes into racing. So I, I definitely think it's important. I like, I know exactly what video you're talking about with Haley Deegan, um, you know, not only in racing, but life, just like so many things happen. And uh, it's, it's definitely cool, I guess. And I think it actually maybe establishes a better connection with your fans when they do see the the highs and the lows. Cause like one of the things I actually always say, and you know, whether I, I make it in racing, if that's the term or, or whatever, however far I go or I get to race, uh, I think no matter what, it'd be cool. It's almost like, and there, uh, same with other channels on YouTube that are creating similar content. Like you're able to go back and see their journey from, you know, the first day that they started. And it's kind of like watching episode one and then you get to see two, three, and you can watch every episode. It's just kind of, you know, the the real progress of their team and, and how they were as a driver or a spectator, whatever position they are in dirt track racing. So I think that's what's so cool about now kind of what we have with YouTube is, you know, it's not, you know, you're not have all these people with these big fancy camera crews and mics and all this stuff. It's just, you know, a lot of us just dirt track racers, people trying to, you know, create content with a camera or a phone or a GoPro or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's so real. So it's, it's fun. 
talk a little bit about the production side of things. Like I said before, like, you know, I do some video stuff now and there's stuff that I never really thought of before I started doing the video stuff, like how much work goes into, you know, different camera, camera angles, like planning, like how much planning really goes, like when you go to a race, like what, what do you plan ahead for? Like, do you plan like to have someone on outside of the track filming in a certain turn or specific camera angles, stuff like that? Yeah, so I've been uh, I've been pretty fortunate, you know, because it seems like I have different family members and it seems like, all right, this is kind of your job and this is your job and this is, uh, so we have that. But I, I think next year, I actually, I really want to add on uh, a person to help me be a full-time filmer. I also have one of my friends, Bennett, who's been in the vlogs a lot. He does a, a ton of filming when he's with me. But the main planning, honestly, all of it's usually in my head. Some of my videos I film at home. I try to do an outline just so it goes faster so I can go like, all right, bullet point to bullet point. Um, but the main thing when I'm kind of shooting my racing videos, it always depending on kind of what I want to have. But for the most part, we my dad always gets to the track early just because that's the type of person he is. So that actually benefits me. Uh, but we'll get to the races, you know, three or four hours early. Maybe I'll set up my camera to do a time lapse or two. Uh, to get that B-roll for kind of the beginning, maybe, you know, kind of show the, the scenery where we're at the racetrack. And then I try to also get some other B-roll for that, you know, beginning of the video montage. So that's usually about 30 to 45 seconds. And then always try to do one shot either by the car, but I like to go up by the track, especially as we're going to new places to kind of start the video. So it's all right. Like we're here at the Knoxville Raceway. This is the track right here. This is where we're going to be running tonight. All the details, maybe the size of the track, how fast we're going to be going, all that. Um, and a lot of that stuff I say is a little bit more on the fly. So I end up usually taking a couple different takes, pick the one I like the most in my editing software. And then all the other shots throughout the night are kind of just like, you know, depending on how the night's going or, or, or whatnot. Um, another key part is I always have, uh, especially as of lately, I try to have two GoPros on my car every single time I hit the track. Um, as long as it's not too muddy, if the racetrack's super hooked up, they're just going to get covered anyway, so I'll leave them off. But uh, for qualifying, I try to do cool angles, which I usually set up before I go to the track or right when I get there, so they're not, like, in the way. That's not something I'm doing right before I roll out for qualifying because, um, you know, once the race night starts, um, you know, it's more on people helping me and stuff like that besides when I just pick up the camera. But uh, usually I have GoPros on my car and I have my certain spots I run for racing. And then, like I said, for qualifying, I'll try to do cool angles revolving around like cockpit cams, um, maybe facing my pedals or cool stuff where you can see the suspension moving. And then just throughout the night, just kind of narrate it as it goes. And, and as I have a second when I climb out of the car or if we have a break and we're able to go up and look at the track. And that's kind of how I just piece it together. And then also my older sister is the main one that's always filming from the grandstand. So that means I'll have three angles uh, for the feature, hopefully two on the car, one from the grandstands and kind of cut between those as we go. Um, and, and now that I have that little extra help, you know, I'm always have some sort of footage because back when I first started, I'd only have one GoPro and no one filming. So if, you know, the GoPro right. shut off or got covered, then all of a sudden, I, you know, I don't got nothing. So definitely try to step up the production and, there, and there's a lot that goes into it, especially on the editing side. Uh, I know you mentioned how important a thumbnail is. Like a thumbnail is realistically more important than the whole video. It's crazy. So you kind of <laughs> it is. I know. Mind, you know, so whether that's like, all right, if a photographer gets a photo of me, I need that photo, or I need to try to think of something before the races, or at the end of the night, if something goes wrong or something goes good, I need to get a photo in front of the car with my my blown tire or thumbs up or something. So, uh, so all those little things that you know you just kind of always thinking about, but at the same time during the race night. 
you know, you know, you're, you're a racer. So um, luckily I have some people that help me throughout the night, but at the same time, a lot of it, you know, is myself. And it's just, I guess over the years, now that I'm, I'm coming up on doing this for five years, it's just, it's just second nature. It's instinct. All right. All right. I need to go do this real quick. Go watch the race, get back in all that stuff, as well as, um, you know, being involved with what's going on on the car. But, but I also do have help with like my younger sister and a couple of crew guys that, that take care of the car to where that's not as much my worry. It seems like we're joking about thumbnails. It seems like the thumbnails people always like to click on either a girl in a bikini or the, pol- <laughs> the police arresting someone. Those are the two big ones. It yeah, those like. are, yeah, it's, it's crazy what, yeah, what, what YouTube is. And like, I've really right. spent a lot of time like trying to study that, you know, there's other people in the game that are super successful with racing blogs and stuff. And I just like try to see what they're doing exactly. and then kind of what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, and then also I can look back at some of my videos from three or four years ago. I'm like, of course, these got no views. These thumbnails are horrible. And so it, it's still something I'm, I'm really evolving. And that's one of the main parts of, I guess, my work. I, I really, you know, I'm starting to put a lot more effort into because like I said, I mean, that's, that's more important than the whole video, you know, that in the title. So it's, um, it, it's crazy kind of how YouTube works. And that's another part of just knowing the ins and outs of, I guess, the game. You know, you talked a little bit about a little bit ago about making it racing and whatever that means. I mean, there's, that's a, that's a big subject there. What, where would you like to see yourself? I mean, you went out, uh, you did that tour, you ran against the all-stars, you went to Knoxville, uh, you have raced against some of the best of the best now. Um, you know, that's a good measuring stick for you. You learn a lot, you know, you get, get kicked around a little bit, but you learn a lot and then you, you know, but, uh, you get, you know, all of a sudden you're racing against guys that you see a little bit and you're like, Hey man, I can run with that guy. Yeah. Like this, this guy isn't so, um, like in the near future, kind of where do you see yourself? And then where would you like to see yourself in five years? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, uh, my goal has always been, I would love to own my own operation and kind of be more in control. I know it it seems like everyone nowadays wants to get a ride or that big opportunity or be in this big car, which don't get me wrong. I mean, that is, if you get that chance, that's phenomenal. You need to take advantage of it. If I have that chance, I need to take advantage of it. Uh, but definitely when you're racing with other people that can either be really good or sometimes it can be worse. You know, you see a lot of guys transition from car to car. And, you know, sometimes you're only as good as your equipment or who you have helping you or, you know, sometimes there's really good drivers that are in bad cars and then they look bad. Um, but there's just a, there's a lot to that. Uh, so, I mean, if I get an opportunity, I would love to drive someone else's equipment. But my goal with my YouTube, which I, you know, I, I feel is a little bit of an advantage and I'm just trying to build some great partners and people that, you know, can, um, you know, throughout the next couple of years, kind of getting it to where, I'm owning and running my own race team. Uh, like I said earlier, fortunately, I have parents that support what I do and I'm very, very blessed. And we have a, a great family business and dynamic and everything to where we're able to do it. So we definitely do it a little bit differently since a lot of us are traveling together and going to the races and we're kind of like all our own crew. Uh, but definitely in the near future, I would love to maybe you know run with a big series like the Outlaws, which that's way down the line if that were to happen or the All-Stars, that's a very good series. But definitely within the next couple of years, I'd, I'd mainly like to get out to the Midwest um, and find a good central location, whether that's Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, maybe close to the Knoxville, Iowa area, somewhere where I can kind of go in many different directions and, and run 410 and 360s on a weekly basis. And also, you know, if that means Carly's going out there too, or we're all going out there, 
uh, you know, something. But uh, that would definitely be what I'd like to have happen soon. But that'd be tough, you know, obviously moving all the way across the country. But yeah. biggest thing, building up partners, people that, you know, really want to be involved with our team. And, and that's, uh, that's definitely something that's also tough to do. There's a skill there with, you know, talking with people and getting sponsorship and getting partners. But as far as maybe where I'd like to be, you know, 10 years down the line, definitely owning my own team. And I think it would be cool to kind of be like a, like a Casey Kane racing, you know, it, it, in a perfect world, you know, maybe owning your, you know, stuff where you can race, but it'd be also cool to maybe own a, another team or two that are, you know, chasing the world of outlaws or chasing the all-stars and stuff like that. And, you know, never stopping the content side of things, you know, maybe that's to where people are creating content for those teams or my team or whatever, but um, I just think it'd be cool to be involved with the sport. So I, I definitely think I want to be involved on the racing side for as long as I can. And then, you know, maybe way down the road, that's where, like I talked about being a promoter or, you know, owning a track would, would also be a fun task. So I think, uh, you know, no matter what, whether I'm maybe not going to be, a, maybe I'm not a driver at some point, I'm still definitely going to be involved with dirt racing, you know, whether that's at some of the lower rank, ranks getting started or, you know, maybe at the highest level, I don't know. Uh, we'll just have to see where everything goes and, and just keep following the different paths. Yeah. In fact, uh, I negated to mention someone else, um, Kevin Swindell's channel I watch. Yes. One thing I respect is, is, um, Kevin over the years has taken a lot of heat, uh, just cause he can seemingly be a little abrupt in that. Um, but that being said, he is very open and honest in his videos. And you hear him talking, you hear him talk to his drivers. And he's like, man, I should have done this. Or, I should have done that. And you know, this is a guy that's won and won a lot. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it's really refreshing to see, um, Kevin just, and I've been where Kevin, <laughs> not at that level, but I've been where Kevin's at where, man, sometimes you just don't know what you could have done better. You know, you could have done something. You just don't know what it is. And, uh, I really respected that about him. I, I just, I, I really found a great respect through those videos. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of was like, you know, that situation too. Uh, first off, I mean, they create some awesome content. I'm friends with, uh, one of the guys that does a lot of their filming. And like I said, just incredible. The videos are so good and so well done. Uh, but I mean, one thing I think I realized too over this last year, you know, the, the 39, the Swindell team, they're one of the top teams that run. If they show up to the track, they're one of the teams that are in contention to win. And, you know, you know, even on like their tough nights, you know, you kind of realize and like what I found out out there, you know, running with the all-stars and like, we're going to run with the outlaws this weekend as they kind of head for the West coast is like some of the guys that you, you know, watching that series on TV before I ever ran with them, you know, I'm, I won't even lie. You know, you find yourself like maybe a guy rolls out for qualifying. You're like, man, okay, this guy, he's not that fast. He's going to be a back marker or, you know, or this next guy rolls out and you're like, all right, he, he's going to be decent, but you kind of know who the guys are to beat. But once you get out there and you start racing with them, you realize like, Hey, even some of these guys that are in the back, like they're super talented, except they just got to race against the best of the best every single right. week. Like, you know, you, you kind of, you really got that. I got that perspective of like, man, really everyone that's showing up to these races, they're super good. And, you know, maybe if some of these guys that are running in the back, if they started going and running with, you know, maybe a more regional series or something, they'd probably be kicking everyone's butt. And so you kind of, you, you realize like even on some of these big teams, tough nights, you know, there's just so many good cars and so many good drivers and everyone nowadays has elite equipment, you know, for the most part, or, you know, at least the guys that are running up front. And so, um, you know, it's tough, even a, a team that's as good as the, the 39 team or plenty of the other all-stars or outlaw guys. It's just, 
you know, so many guys are so good. It's just, um, you know, one mistake or something puts you behind the eight ball and all of a sudden you're, you're stuck in the back. So I, I totally found yeah. myself in that spot many a times. And it's just, uh, it's tough to get to the level of what those top teams are at. Yeah. And you, you get to this point too, where you'll, you'll question yourself. Uh, and once you start questioning yourself that, that, I mean, you can't always stay where you're at, but you gotta be careful questioning yourself. Because then you'll make uh, your indecision will make cause bad decisions. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, what kind of maintenance program do you guys run? I mean, do you, you know, how often do you cycle out the bars? Um, you know, how, how how much do you guys, you know, run your U joints and that sort of thing? Of course, it changes from yeah. car to car to car. But um, do you have a really good cycle now on that stuff? And and like a and since you have so many different cars, are you taking the 410 stuff and dropping it down to the 360 or, or the sportsman car? So like you this know? year's been a little different. Um, originally, we wanted to since like you know this year we built a new we built one new car and then we had um, we had a couple other that we had just built throughout the years and you know nice equipment, but at the same time you know some of it is definitely pieced together like you know um, front axle from this car and a rear end that's this many races old and we're just kind of you know putting stuff together to see what we can build uh, because the main goal for this year was okay when we go 410 racing we want to take this car and when we go 360 racing we want to take this car just so we didn't have to swap engines back and forth but then that kind of all went down the drain because in June um, we started having problems with the car we ran our 360 in and it was just like it was not good so uh, we're still actually kind of figuring out little pieces of that puzzle. Uh, so ever since I, the car ended up getting in a wreck at one of the big shows up in Washington, we ran. So that car has been sidelined since. So we've pretty much just been switching engines back and forth with my primary car. Uh, so we just, you know, if we're going 360 racing, we put the 360 in, we go 410 racing, we put the 410 in, which we've swapped engines so many times that it, it really doesn't take that much time. You know, we can pull right. one out in 10 or 15 minutes and drop one in in 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, so that, and then also as far as like maintenance program, everyone definitely does it a little bit differently. Uh, but we, we try to, you know, like if we're racing a speed week, six nights in a row, we definitely try to wash a couple of times throughout the week, um, just depending on how long the drives are and, you know, where the tracks are located and logistics of it. And then you mentioned like torsion bars and shocks and all that. Um, you know, we do, we do torsion bars uh, about every two races. And then um, as far as actually greasing on many different parts of the car, yeah. it's usually like if we run a Friday, Saturday show, um, we'll definitely do our stuff after the first night, but, you know, kind of check everything out. But then definitely um, every two races, just keep going through everything. And then as far as like engines, like four tens, you know, you can run 16 to 20 shows and three sixties. You could maybe run over 20 shows, depending on, you know, your engine builder and, and how risky or, you know, how your engine, I guess you could say is built. Um, but we definitely try to stay on top of everything, you know, always doing nut and bolt checks throughout the night after qualifying after the heats. And, um, and then also, you know, we're always changing stuff on setup, whether that's shocks yeah. and bars throughout the night as well. So, um, yeah, we definitely have to be super hands-on with the cars and, you know, like whatever the guys at the top of, you know, dirt racing are doing, like wh whatever the outlaws, their maintenance program looks like, or the all-stars and guys, you know, you definitely want to strive to be like them because, I mean, if they're taking that good a care of their equipment, you know, you better be doing the same thing if you even want to have a chance to beat them. I went to a Casey Kane uh, sale one time when he had all of his teams here in Indy. I don't know, maybe he still does, but uh, they had a box of 25 U-joints, aluminum U-joints, MPD U-joints. Some of them looked like they had never been run. Yeah. I mean, and that's how often they were changing them out. I, 
I ended up reselling, you know, I told everybody, Hey, they, people say they're, they say these are used. So I ended up reselling a, a bunch of them and I used a few of them in, in our midgets, you know, but that's how meticulous their stuff is, is it was, it was shocking even to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think uh, with the outlaws too, I mean, to a certain extent, obviously a lot of other, like, you know, more local teams and stuff like little things like that, you know, a lot of art, like teams out here and, you know, unless you're running a nationally touring series um, and you have those resources, like obviously, you know, teams aren't necessarily um, doing that. Like we'll run our equipment. We, or we definitely run a lot of our equipment almost a little longer than we should just trying to get as much, much life out of it. And then you can re, you know, repurpose it to another owner. Uh, like I said, one of the nice things is like, you know, if, if we have a car that we, you know, we run, you know, 50 or a hundred shows on it, um, which we, we aren't really there yet, or some of our equipment's getting more up there, but uh, you know, a lot of like the limited sprint car teams in our area, you know, they're more than willing to buy equipment from a 360 or 410 team that's used because I mean, for like the limiteds, they're not as hard on stuff. So it's totally right. common, you know, someone trying to get started, you know, you have a brand new roller, you run it a season or two, you can sell it to those guys and they're more than happy to take it. You know, it's still good stuff. It's just as far as trying to compete on a super high level, um, you know, obviously stuff gets, stuff gets super worn out, but yeah, the outlaw guys, I mean, they definitely are they're almost doing not extra work. I mean, they're doing what they need to win races, but you know, some of it, obviously, like you said, like this stuff hasn't even been ran and they're getting rid of it and they, and they do the same with tires and uh, a lot of other stuff. You know, the second something has right. a problem, there's no reason to even check it out. It's take it off and put, put, you know, a new piece of equipment on versus, you know, a lot of other locally or regional teams, you know, or maybe a little bit of a different approach. Right. That, um, yeah, no, I was, it, it was really impressive, um, uh, just seeing how they ran their operation. Uh, what, well, I, I just, um, I, I just think it's great. And, uh, you know, like I talked about before, especially it's, it's such a family operation that you guys have. And, uh, uh, especially with your sister racing and your sister's a good racer. Yeah. Um, and, um, she's already won a feature, right? And, yep. Yep. She got her first win on July 10th. And she's won quite a few um, of the uh, all, all of kart races. Yeah, thank you. And um, do you do you see her continuing on a racing path such as yourself, or is this something she's doing now? And, and this is something. And I don't want you to speak for your sister. I'm not asking you to do that. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's 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 kind of tough. It's funny because we actually haven't like we haven't really had that that conversation. I mean, a little bit here and there, but you know, Carly. Uh, you know, I, I know she, she definitely obviously really enjoys doing the racing thing now. And I mean, you know, uh, cause I actually, it's funny. I see, I saw a comment one recently on one of my videos where, you know, someone was asking like, you know, it's Carly, you know, does Carly really want to do it? Does she want to continue? And I was like, man, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not really a hundred percent sure. You know, I know she really enjoys doing the limited thing right now and would, you know, maybe be interested in trying to, trying to go forward. Uh, but, but at the same time, I definitely think we're on different paths. She loves being involved with the the videos and, and all that. But I also don't think like, for example, you know, I'm, and maybe if she gets older, maybe she'll change her mind. But like, I don't really see her actually starting her own YouTube channel because you know, she likes to be a part of the videos and be involved right. and, you know, okay, like she's racing and I'm not. And like, we're definitely, you know, we're filming her and we're doing what she's doing, but she doesn't necessarily have like interest to, you know, kind of have her own channel and, and necessarily be, uh, be a star, I guess, or whatever you want to, whatever term. Um, but I know she definitely loves running the outlaw cart stuff and I'm sure she probably will never like ever really get out of racing. She just might not, 
um, you know, maybe be trying to continue to climb the ladder, if that makes sense. You know, she'll be, sure. maybe she just to race, you know, locally here in the Northwest when she has the chance as she gets older, or maybe she still wants to run carts because, you know, even if you're 25 or 30, you can still run outlaw carts or older than that. Um, but, but yeah, I think we're definitely on different paths, but right now we're, you know, the paths are close and we're, we're still, you know, racing as long as we can together as a family, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but as a, as a female though, if she does choose that she wants to try to, you know, go farther in the sport, I'm, I'm sure there will be opportunities there just because it, it is, it's harder to find female racers that, you know, or, or, or kind of maybe wanting to do that or, you know, female racers at all that have the ability to be able to drive, you know, these high horsepower you know, cars. Well, we had Lynn St. James on here and uh, we were talking and, and like I'd said to her, I said, I've been asked before. I said, well, why don't you think there's more women, especially in open wheel racing? Because there are a lot of girls who run uh, quarter midgets and it sounds like there's a lot of girls who run the, the uh, carts. Yeah. And, and especially all kinds of carts and uh but about the ages of 14 to 18 they start kind of fading away and let's say james says why well, i think they're smarter than guys yeah no I, I would agree yeah i think i mean i think there's many probably many reasons why probably one of the first i mean you know like we talked about racing is not the most glamorous job especially you know and i, and I to give my younger sister credit not to brag too much about her but you know the fact that she has the hands-on ability as well as driving is definitely something you don't see for, for a female. Um, right. and, and a lot of the teams, like in the Midwest, it was funny. We, we didn't even know a lot of these people, but they were complimenting her and, no, and, and noticing that. And she even got some free merchandise for a couple of them because she helped them when they came in the hot pit when they needed help, you know? So um, interesting things like that. But uh, I think I, I'm sure, you know, um, in the in the coming years, there will definitely be a female that is just, extremely talented and does have maybe what it takes to, you know, compete at a high level. I mean, I mean we've seen um, some that have already been able to sprint cars um, also, you know, like a, like a Haley Deegan, someone who's extremely good, but especially as, you know, it seems like as the years go on, these younger kids, um, male and female can race so much at a younger age or can hop on iRacing a simulator at the age of two or three and start getting their taste of racing that way, as well as going to the races you know, I think we're only going to see these, these young kids that are so talented and they're hopping into sprint cars or, you know, on the asphalt side of things and in IndyCar and stock cars, you know, they're getting involved at these classes at such, such a young age, you know, it, the, the field of talent is only going to get stronger. So that's, I think definitely part of it and where, you know, there's definitely going to be a female coming up that it would just have so much experience because of the opportunity to be able to race at a young age in carts or micros or asphalt, and then kind of get taken up the ladder and with opportunities, obviously sponsors and rides, um, I'm, I'm sure one will make it. Yeah, I think so too. And, um, I, I, you know, people talk about Dan Patrick. Well, she did win an IndyCar race. Yeah. Um, she struggled somewhat. Well, she struggled greatly in NASCAR, especially after the first season. Um, but Sarah Fisher ran IndyCars. Um, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I think you're right. And I think there will be a cause and effect. Uh, maybe Haley Deegan will be that cause and effect. Um, I'm also kind of interested in the scene with the Larson effects going to be. Yeah. Um, because, um, I mean, I, I've never seen anybody dominate like the way he does. Yeah. And I, and you know, I've been around this sport a long time, man. And, and the closest, the, closest person i've ever seen 
and they're different. Don't don't get me wrong. It's it's different how they are the effect that they have. But the closest I've ever seen in popularity was Jeff Gordon when Jeff came along. Yeah. Um, and you know Jeff was winning those races on Thursday Night Thunder and and on the Thunder Series and in that that was a, a remarkable time and being around the sport and Jeff couldn't do any wrong then. And, um, and, but Larson, who's actually, you know, obviously a little older than Jeff was at that time. Uh, this is the way he dominates in, in the, I mean, the fans are going to watch this guy win. Yeah. Uh, and there's never, I, I've never heard him booed once for winning. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting to see if there's a Larson effect. Cause there definitely was a Jeff Gordon effect. And to a lesser extent, there was a Tony Stewart effect. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I actually think, and this is something a lot of my, my buddies and I will talk about, all of us racers, like, I mean, obviously Kyle Larson is like, I mean, he is, we're so blessed to be able to have the chance to watch this guy race. But we were like, man, honestly, with, I talked about all the things that these kids have access to and being able to race. And and not only like, like Kyle got started at the age of seven, um, and you can get started a little bit younger than that nowadays, but it's more the fact that, you know, instead of maybe only being able to race 10 times a year or 15 times a year, I mean, these kids can race 40 or 50 or 60 times a year at the age of five, six and seven years old. Not that there's a lot of them out there doing that, but I'm sure, especially as you know, time goes on and that opportunity is there, a lot of these kids, you know, will, um, but we, but we think probably, you know, the greatest driver that we're probably going to see in our lifetime is probably still on their way up somewhere just because Very of possible. the experience, you know, and chances um, but it's definitely been crazy to see what Kyle's been able to do in hopping between late models and sprint cars and asphalt. And I think the coolest part is how he's kind of bridging the the fan bases all together. And we all are kind of behind this one guy that, as you said, I mean, we're definitely not booing him. We're supporting him. And it's just it's just such a such a treat to watch him, you know, show up to the track any night. Well, they always say it's not how you fall. It's how you get up. And, and it, it was sad. I, you know what he did and what he said yeah. and the fallout from that was just terrible. And if you can feel bad for uh, Andy, you know, a team owner, man, you got to feel bad for Chip Ganassi. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was left with no choice. And, uh, but you know, from the ashes rose a guy who maybe had not been taking it as serious as he could have been. And I think once he saw it could all go away, uh, man, he is just laser focused and, uh, it is, it has been a special treat to watch. And I think for any racer like yourself, I mean, there's so much to learn and watch how he races and, you know, figuring, you know, when you watch him and you figure out that he, he oftentimes will find that one spot on the track where maybe nobody else is running it. He's faster than everybody else there. And then he just has to figure out how to maintain everywhere else. And he'll find that, you know, he'll find that spot where he's faster and then he finds that the, where he can just maintain because he's only got to be faster in one spot. Yeah. You know, um, and it, it's, it's very impressive to watch. So, and, uh, as we start to wind this down, uh, you talked about your, your mother, the video of her having to get into, not having to get, but getting into the cart and kind of getting a feel for what you guys go through. Uh, did that change her view on, on the sport at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I think she was like, kind of, I mean, maybe the best word would be like blown away. Just like, man, this is, you know, it's obviously way harder than it looks. And, I, and I've had that same actually realization, you know, kind of transitioning up the ranks from carts to sprint cars and into four tens. It's like, 
you know, not that I ever thought it was going to be easy, but like, man, it's gotta be, it's, it's gotta be easier than what I'm feeling now. Like, man, this is so hard. Uh, but, but yeah, I think like it was, it was an eye opener for her. And I think, you know, she obviously already had a ton of love and respect for us, but she was like, man, this is like, this is just way different. And, um, and like, you know, we just had another, we just did that again this last weekend where she ran the, the, the outlaw cart for the second ever time. And she was a little bit faster, but you know, she, you know, she's obviously not up to full speed and it's just, um, it's just something that it's really crazy. And that's kind of where we, we talked about in that video is how like some of these parents, you know, as actually my parents did when they didn't have any knowledge of racing, you know, expecting their five or six year old to be able to go 30, 40, 50 miles an hour and right. be so good when it's like, man, this is actually such a, a crazy task at hand. So I guess from that side of the spectrum, all the way to like a guy that's as good as Kyle Larson or, you know, even, even other people that are like a Donnie shots or something like really how talented these people are and how good they are, at what they do. And uh, I guess the biggest, the biggest lesson from all of it is it just, you know, it takes a lifetime and dedicating your life to racing to really be as good as some of these people are. So, um, and another lesson out of it that my mom got was, you know, encouraging people, if you have the chance to race anything, maybe that's not a go-kart and especially for older people, go-karts are a rough ride you know, maybe get something with some suspension on there, but, uh, you know, trying anything and just getting the chance to go out there and turn laps and, and figure it out is, um, it's an experience you definitely won't forget. And so, uh, it, it's definitely been a blessing for her. And now I just got to convince my dad and my older sister to get in the seat. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. It, I mean, and then you throw in the fact that there's 16, 18, 20 other cards out there throwing, covering you down with dirt and stuff the entire yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's you, you think it's bad out here by yourself. Imagine That's when right. you have guys that are, you know, we're all racing at full speed. And then it's like, well, hey, why'd you like, you know, my, and they, they don't do it a lot, but, you know, sometimes my dad would be like, well, why didn't you run the top in that situation? Or why didn't you slide the guy? Or I'm like, man, you don't even realize what it was like going into that corner and what happened. So it's, it's really, um, you know, she obviously hasn't got a taste of that, but in a way she has just realizing, you know, how fast it feels when she's rolling around there at 25%, you know, like I said, imagine being a hundred percent and you have four guys around you that are all trying to take the spot away from you. And, and, you know, you're all on the verge of just wrecking every second you're on the track. So it's, uh, it's definitely crazy. And like I said, it, it's great for people to get that view and, and realize, you know, really what us drivers are up against and, um, you know, the pressure and, and, and everything that's going on really in the heat of the moment. Yeah. I like, uh, like when you went to Knoxville, like almost immediately you're right on the fence, um, which is, you know, when it's up there, you got to get up there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, there in Eldor and places like that, that has to be daunting to just get on that fence, man. Oh, it is. It's crazy. And I think it's like a, a talent that I definitely want to try to pick up on. Like one of the main things is, you know, being able to go to new tracks and be fast. You know, that's that's why the outlaws are so good. That's why Kyle Larson is so good, because these guys have figured out how to go to new places. And it doesn't it doesn't you know, they're not at a disadvantage because they're at a new place. And so that that's one of the main things. And it's like when you get to a track like Knoxville, as it's constantly changing throughout the night and, you know, I have maybe five laps up to full speed on the track because I got hot laps and qualifying. Now I have a heat race. It's like, you know, you, you have no other option, but to figure it out. And if, you know, you're out there uh, messing around or not messing around, is not the right word, but you're just, you know, you're not doing, you know, you're not going for the right line. Like you're just wasting time. So you, you got to figure it out and do it if you're, if you want to make it happen. So 
Um, but that's definitely one thing I, I want to work on is, you know, throughout the next couple of years is just as we go to new places, um, the people that can figure it out and, and, and get on new surfaces and be quick right out the gate are, are usually the guys that are in victory lane at the end of the night. Yeah, I, I think, um, too, is you, you got to know, and this I think is the hardest for young drivers is knowing when you're fast. Yeah. You know, don't, you know, know that, hey, man, okay, I'm running the bottom. It's a little slimy right now. Uh, there's a lot of people down here, but it's cleaning up. And somebody shows you the nose up top and, and that, that urge to get up on top because you think that's going to be the fast way around. Um, you may lose a position. Now, if you start falling through the pack, that's obviously something else. But sometimes you just got to know when you're fast. You know, um, and that's hard, man. That's got to be hard, especially around the bottom uh, at certain places because you're so far out of the gas and feels like you're coasting. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got to have so much patience. Like dirt racing, especially like you said, a place or like a, like a Knoxville, you know, around the bottom. You got to have so much patience. We also got to figure out, you know, it's really a foot game between your left and right foot and finding the That's best right. combination. Um, and, and, you know, because there's new, there's guys using different techniques of dragging the brake or, you know, lifting yep. more than using brake either. I mean, you could do it many different ways, um, but there's usually one way that's the fastest. And uh, yeah, I definitely think as a young driver, uh, I think that there's, you know, like you said some disadvantages and things like not having that experience, but at the same time, uh, man, we've went to a couple of tracks where I've experienced it or other young kids I've raced with, I've seen, you know, sometimes going to a new track and never being there can be an advantage. And especially, you know, being young and some, you know, a lot of younger guys are more on the gas than anything uh, because, you, you know, you don't have a book of maybe how this track races right. or where to go and where not to go. So, you know, I've seen people find the most unique lines at tracks I've been to before and they ended up beating us all that night because they'd never been there and they didn't, they didn't know what to expect. They just were kind of moving around looking versus, um, you know, like I, there was a track we were at earlier this year um, here in Oregon called Coos Bay. And it mm -hmm. is usually never around the top. So we're all running around the bottom and this 15-year-old uh, kid named Corey Day ran around the top around all of us and none of us expected it to be there. So it's crazy the different situations you get put in and, uh, you know, having to figure it out at these places you've been to or you haven't. That's uh, Ronnie Day's kid, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That, I think that come naturally to him. I think run the top. Yeah. Me, me and Corey I, are pretty good buddies. He's, he, he, that's his yeah. driving style and that's how he, he's a gasser and he just, I mean – you know, he's already been super successful in his young career. So he'll yeah, be he, he, he definitely gasses it up. He doesn't always know where he's going, but that doesn't mean yeah. he's not going to get there. No <laughs> kidding. Just, no kidding. He's, he's fun to watch though, man. And, uh, I think when he won the circle city, right. With driving yeah. Lawson. Yep. And, uh, and I really enjoyed watching that. And I enjoyed that for Tim. I know that meant a lot to Tim, I'm sure. And, and uh, Ronnie, you know, not that I know Ronnie, but I remember him watching him race uh, some when I was a kid, or not a kid when I was an adult. But yeah, um, he, um, you know, that, I, I just thought that was really cool to watch him win. Absolutely. Um, and tell your mom that on Racer to Racer, we love the mothers of this sport. Absolutely, Will <laughs> the, do. the the mothers of this sport uh, are, and I've said it a million times on here, they. In, in a lot of ways, they're the ones that make the show go. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so uh, we hold the mothers in the highest regard here. And uh, Aaron, you got any other questions for this uh, young man? I don't. Uh, I really appreciate it, Tanner. And hopefully um, we'll be able to see a race. We're in Indiana. So in the, actually, I, I can see the pagoda 
of IMS from my front yard. So I'm pretty close wow, to the track. Cool. Yeah. So obviously, as you were saying, you're from um, Pacific Northwest, but hopefully, like you said, you'll get to do some more racing in the Midwest. Or if I, I, I know I would love to go up to Pacific Northwest sometime, hopefully, you know, maybe be able to see a race up there. Um, I'm definitely jealous of you living in the Pacific Northwest. It's gotta be pretty awesome. But then again, I'm, you've been there your whole life, so you don't know any difference. Absolutely. And, Scott's laughing. I know Scott has something to say. You can go ahead and say it, Scott. I've, I've got nothing to say, my <laughs> man. That uh, no, it's beautiful country out there. You know, when you show those videos and and out by where you guys live and that, uh, you know, man, that's just beautiful. Yeah, it's it's cool. And uh, the only thing that sucks about out here is we just don't have the, the racing. You know, man, like, it's, right. and it's kind of crazy how that all how that all worked out. But one day I'd love to get to Indiana. I know that's more non-wing country than anything. Yeah, and, uh, it really is. Uh, it, you know, and it's, you know, it's funny. Like a wing driver actually runs better in midgets than he does a non-wing sprint car. Yeah. Um, because you gotta keep the momentum. Uh, not, not to say you don't in, in all race cars, but non-wing sprint cars are just a total different, um, beast, you know, all together. And, uh, a lot of, uh, I know a lot of, uh, midget owners that always kind of look for fast, uh, fast wing drivers. Cause they, they figure, well, if they can keep the momentum up in the sprint car, they can keep it up in midget. That's what I you bury, Yeah. You bury that right rear. You know, I don't care if those Toyota's got 380 horse, 400 or SR 11, whatever, man, you bury it in a cushion. It, you know, especially with the right rears, they get so much offset in the right rears and that it really makes the car tight. And, and, uh, so you have to just keep some momentum, but, uh, man, you know, if you're ever back through here, I, I'm going to definitely come watch you race and, if you guys make that swing back through Ohio next year, I'll, I'll definitely try to get over and watch your race. Absolutely. Yeah. We're hoping to have a big schedule for 2022. And, and, um, you know, like I said, also, you know, hoping maybe in the next couple of years to relocate. I know a lot of guys are in that Indiana area because even though there's not as much wing stuff, you can head towards Ohio and towards the Knoxville area. So right. hope to see you guys out there and man, I'm, I'm looking forward already to 2022, but we also have a lot of stuff still this year. So we're going to finish it off. All right. So, what are your sponsors? Sponsor time. Plug away. Sponsors? All right. Uh, one of the first big ones um, we have, that's the one on the side of the wing panels. We have Next Gen Def. Um, they're also in kind of with uh, Carson Oil, another one of our big partners. Uh, so you'll see those on the car. We also have a uh, Pit Stop USA. They supply me with my safety gear. You'll see me wearing kind of my colorful Pit Stop USA suits. That's uh, great stuff, Fast yeah. Yeah, oh, great stuff. Uh, we have Fast Four Media, which they do a lot of broadcasting. Um, kind of here along the West Coast for Outlaw Carts and then also micro. So like they were in Indiana a little bit this year, kind of through Oklahoma. They do a lot of the big micro sprint shows. So they, uh, Kyler Shaw, who owns that company, great dude. Me and him have been buddies for the last couple of years. Uh, we have on-site screeners. They're here in my valley. And um, they've been actually, heck, they've been sponsoring me the last couple of years. Really, really good people uh, over there. We have uh, OMA KTM, our local KTM supplier. And those guys have been with me since the Outlaw Cart days because we ran their engines. And um, now we're now we're in the sprint car. Then we also have a QRC. You'll see them on uh, in my outlaw car and my sprint car. We have Earth Environmental. Those guys are out of Northern California. They do a lot of stuff um, with like aquatic rest restoration right there on the Pacific Ocean. And um, yeah, that 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 covers I think most of them. Uh, hopefully, I, hopefully I didn't forget anyone. Do you do you have sponsorship from Swindle's uh, Speed Lab? 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. We talked about that earlier. Uh, Swindle Speed Lab also. And then, oh, I guess now I mentioned it. Um, that's the one little part of my car. We also have uh, Ferguson Waterworks and Durango RV. So those, yeah, all those guys do a lot of cool stuff for me. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And I, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on. You, you really are, uh, you know, like I said, I've been around the sport a long time and it, I really enjoy your attitude. Uh, and I, I really like it for the family uh, atmosphere of it because we went racing as a family for a very long time. Um, so it just reminds me of that. And uh, well, what do you, what do you do for school? Which, what do you got plans for school coming up? I'm graduated. So I'm, I'm completely done. Carly just switched over to a, a charter school. So today was actually her first day. Uh, I graduated a little bit early. I, I, I would have been, this would have been my first year in college because I, I am 18, but I'm on like the younger side of my class. Uh, but I mean, you know, the whole high school thing, it, it was, it was fun. You know, I, I grew up, I went to the same school my whole life. And then in, um, when I was a sophomore, I decided to switch over to charter school, not necessarily because of racing. We did miss a lot of school, um, but at the same time, in those younger years, we weren't doing as much sprint car stuff. So, I mean, just some big outlaw cart shows we would miss, but the whole school thing just, it, you know, for me, it just didn't, it just, you know, it just wasn't, just wasn't there, I guess. I don't know. Um, so I switched over to a different way of doing it. And then I ended up taking some classes at my, uh, my local community college. So I was able to gain credits faster. And originally, I was going to try to pursue an associate's degree kind of by the time I graduated high school by doing those college classes. But that also changed a little bit just because of the pandemic and a lot of the classes that I was doing, um, they were meant to be in person. We couldn't be in person and stuff. So it kind of turned into a big mess. So I ended up just, you know, not pursuing any further higher education. I graduated high school. They mailed me my diploma and, and we went with that only because I missed the ceremony because we were at Ohio Speed Week. So. Uh, but Carly is going to be a, Carly's a sophomore. So today was her first day. She's got three years left. And then, um, all of the, the home siblings here, we're going to be, we're going to be done unless Carly decides to, you know, go on to college. Well, that's great. Um, uh, as someone who didn't go to college, I would tell you always keep in the back of your mind. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you won't always, you won't always be young. Just, just always remember that. I agree. I will agree with that. That is true. It, uh, it leaves you options. So, but again, thank you so much. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure and I knew it would. And we very much appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Keep up podcasting stuff. It's great that you guys are creating content and uh, hopefully we'll see you out in Indiana soon.